Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast designed to give people the inside scoops on life around our church. Uh, got a really cool conversation today with a podcast veteran, uh, our family ministry pastor, Carrie Jones. Carrie, say hi to everybody. Hello. Uh, knowing you've been part of this discussion on a number of occasions, uh, try to tell us something we don't already know about you. Something? Oh, mercy. Oh, well, I play tennis. That's something okay. a lot of people don't know about me. Good. And in the last year, I've also gotten really into yoga. Mm. Yeah. So those are two things. You're like Bianca Andreescu level Well, tennis. not quite. No, not no, quite. not even close. Let's okay. not even joke about that. Anything you're uh, just in general reading lately or mm. learning about faith or church or anything related to that? Faith or church? Oh, wow. You don't prepare me for these questions. Oh, my goodness. They're supposed to be from the hip. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it will probably lead into our conversation this morning, but... One of my side passions is this tool, the Enneagrams. And so I'm often listening to podcasts and reading about the Enneagram when I'm not, you know, reading for fun or reading ministry related things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that segues us directly into the conversation I want to have today because I would say in recent years, uh, especially uh, within Christian circles, there's been a lot of talk around this thing called the Enneagram. Some people, they like live for it. Mm -hmm. Other people have no idea what it's about, but they hear it talked about all the time. So uh, I thought, especially on a five Monday month where we had an extra, uh, an extra slot uh, to talk about something kind of outside of just church vision or a leader profile, or we talk about personal stories or even next gen voices. I thought, hey, let's let's uh, fill the spot with a, a conversation with you because you know a lot about about this. So, uh, first things first, what is the Enneagram for all of us listening, whether we're fans of it or we've never heard of it? What is the Enneagram? Yeah, so it, it's kind of this confusing word that gets thrown around a lot, and um, especially here at Southridge, it seems to be a bit of a buzzword. And so, it's good to clarify what it is, what it's about. So the Enneagram is essentially a Greek word that means nine types, and it's a map. And it's a map of these nine different personalities that are all connected. If you know, if you were to look, basically just Google the Enneagram, a map would pop up of these nine types that are all connected through different lines. And um, it's really nine personalities, nine ways of being in the world. And it's a, a self-awareness, self-discovery tool that really has been fairly new to North America. Only in the last about 50 years have we really discovered it here in North America. Prior to that, it's been more um, in uh, in Europe, and it's definitely an ancient tool that's been around for thousands of years, but really new, new to Christian circles especially. Yeah. And so how does the Enneagram work? Like you said, if you Googled it, there'd be this map, but yeah. so what? Because it, it, it also, it's both a map and among other things, an assessment of sorts. Like it's a way uh, or a set of questionnaire, you know, a way of helping yep. you identify with some or ultimately one of these nine types. So That's right. talk about how the, how the Enneagram works. Okay. So it's these nine different types, these nine different ways of being in the world. Each type has both its strengths and its shadows. So another way of saying that would be, um, you know, the best parts of you are also the worst parts of you. And so the Enneagram, I will say this is not for the faint of heart. It's not even for kids. It's, um, recommended that you, 
again, if you want to dive into it, you do it when you're a little bit older in life because you do need to have a strong enough sense of your own ego and your own um, self to really dive into the difficult parts of yourself. So it's these nine different types all connected. The order doesn't mean anything. Uh, One type isn't better or worse than the other. And essentially, these nine different types are um, created to make up for a sense of loss that we've experienced in life. And so each of us form a personality, a personality to survive in the world, essentially. So that's the Enneagram. The other thing I'll say about this is if you look at the map, uh, the nine types, there's also a bit of a framework that's important to understand about the Enneagram. And so there's these three centers of intelligence. There's the body center, the heart center, and the mind center. And that is actually really important. And so when I teach the Enneagram, I always start with talking about these triads, these centers of intelligence. Yeah, that each of the nine types actually subdivide into clusters of three types. Exactly, exactly. So you either live in the body triad, the heart triad, or the mind triad, which just simply means that that's how you process information and make decisions, either through your, your guts, your instincts, which is your body, either through your heart, your emotions, which is your... Um, you know, your heart triad or through your mind, through your ability to um, reason, your um, cognitive um, functions, that kind of thing. I love the way that you describe it because for people who uh, would be curious to enter into it or because they've heard about it, they want to participate in the conversation as well. It's not just sort of uh, all warm and fuzzies. No. I, I get to discover my type when when the types are essentially almost dysfunctions or, you know, ways of coping with your unique brokenness in the world. Yeah, so exactly. So it's, it's like super productive and super helpful from an awareness perspective, but it's, it's, it's uh, difficult work to really enter in and to, to face this about yourself and to enter in even in community with others and to journey through this for your own spiritual development. So yeah. Uh, walk us through then, if you want to go from the perspective of the three triads or, or just give us a bit of basic orientation to the nine types. Uh, and if someone was listening and wanted to actually Google and kind of follow along, you know, on your phone, or hopefully you're not driving right now, but, uh, you know, your computer and, and, and actually view a map, uh, this may help, uh, because we don't have a visual here with the podcast, but walk us through the nine types. Okay. We'll do Um, And just to add to what you said, that it it is difficult work, I would say that the Enneagram, uh, you know, I always get a little bit nervous when people say, oh, it's such a fun tool or it's fun to talk about the Enneagram. And, you know, these days on Instagram, there's all kinds of memes about the Enneagram. And it is kind of fun, but it's really meant to be deep, courageous, hard work. And so it's not for the faint of heart. And I would also say it's not for everyone. You know, some people really track with it. It's a tool. It's not the only tool. And so I just like to say that as a disclaimer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to walk you through the nine types. And um, this is a bit confusing, but we always start with type eight because we walk through the triads. And so we start with the body triad, which is eight, nine, and one. And just one thing about the body triad, these are people that live in this center of intelligence that essentially struggle with the need or the desire for power and control. And so this is really, um, these three types have this lifelong journey of essentially letting go of the need for power and control. So type eight is the challenger. This is the kind of person when they walk in the room, you know, you feel their presence, they're powerful, confident, decisive, intense. Sometimes they're called the asserter. 
And essentially, uh, Richard Rohr would describe this person as having the need to be against. Okay, so that's the challenger. Then we have the peacemaker type nine. And um, the peacemaker, you know, this is the kind of person when they walk in the room, they just want to know, like, what, what can they reconcile? Who can they, um, you know, be around to help mediate any kind of tension. And so these are people that are just lovely people, easygoing, agreeable, reassuring, go with the flow. And these, um, Richard Rohr, would, he uses different language than, um, you know, the challenger or the peacemaker. He would use the language of this is a person who has a need to avoid. Okay, so that's the type nine. The avoider. <laughs> the avoider. Um, type one. Uh, this is the perfectionist, sometimes called the idealist. This is where I live. I like to use the term idealist rather than perfectionist. Sounds a little bit kinder. <laughs> um, and this is a person who really loves to fix problems. And, you know, when they would walk in the room, would think, what's wrong and how can I fix it? And so these are people that are purposeful, intentional, idealistic, and have this need to be right or this need to be perfect. I've heard them described as the reformer. Yes, right? that's another that's it's another like a, term. Almost a problem solver of sorts. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so those three uh, combine together to um, to be the body triad, and um, then the heart triad is two, three, and four. Type two is the helper or the giver, and uh, this is a person that really just lives their life for others. This is someone who is completely others oriented caring, generous, you know, intuitive to the needs of others. Type twos often are aware of the needs of others before anybody else is. And they tend to know exactly what to do when someone is suffering. Um, these are also people that can be very people pleasing and, um, yeah, they have a, a need to be needed. And so in the heart triad, as I mentioned, you know, these are people that have this journey or this need um, for esteem and approval. And so part of their lifelong journey is shedding that and letting go of that. So the first person in the heart triad is two. Second is three, the achiever. And uh, three, this is a person who really is, um, who makes success look super easy. They're very success-oriented, driven, um, able to multitask, you know, they're a multiplier. They lead very well through others. They're also very image conscious and they just have this drive, this need to succeed. And then type four is um, the final number in the heart triad. And this is the individualist, sometimes called the creative. And these are people that are just very um, expressive, sometimes known as romantic, creative, deep, and they have this need to be unique. And so those three come together to form the heart triad. And then the last triad is the, the mind triad, the head triad. And, and the people that live in this, this center of intelligence, they have this lifelong journey of, um, well, they have this need or this desire for security and survival. And so their journey in life is letting go of that, um, that need for survival and security. And so the first number in that triad is the investigator. And so this is someone who is intense, perceptive, cerebral. They're sometimes called the observer, and they just have this need to understand and perceive information. Uh, type six is the loyalist. And these are people who are super committed, um, extremely trusting, or sorry, extremely trustworthy. 
uh, very security oriented. They have a need to be sure, certain, secure. They can be anxious. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't really get into shadow sides, but this type, they are super trustworthy and at the same time have a hard time trusting themselves. And so that's part of their journey. Mm. And then the final number is, uh, the enthusiast and, um, the enthusiast is the kind of person that, you know, if you were going to have a, a dinner party, you'd love to have an enthusiast come over because they're really the life of the party. They walk in a room and, you know, when you ask me my question about what do I do for fun, I'm like, oh, goodness, an enthusiast would have all kinds of answers for that question because really that's what they do. They walk into a room and instantly make it more fun. These are people that are spontaneous. They're fun-loving. Um, they can be perceived as being a bit scattered. And interestingly enough, their need is one of avoiding pain. Hmm. And so those are essentially in a big picture kind of way, the nine types. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's deep enough for okay. <coughs> for, for today. today. <laughs> oh, only because, like you said, this is a lifelong journey. We're just trying to kind of awaken people to some basic orientation of what this is. Um, in addition to that, though, because uh, in addition to the nine types, I know there's phrases like your wing or your stress arrow or things like that without getting too deep into all of that. Um, talk about what phrases like that mean in addition to just to just becoming aware of the nine types or your particular type. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the things about the Enneagram that I feel like can be a bit exclusive or even a bit confusing is that there's all this language. And so people that are deep into the Enneagram use this language like it's just known by other people and it's not, especially if you're just exploring it for the first time. So um, the wing, basically, if you look at the map of the Enneagram, um, your wing is the, the number on the either side of your number. So for example, I'm a type one. And so I would have two wings, nine and a two. And um, everybody has a more dominant wing. So, you know, a one with a nine wing looks a bit different than a one with a two wing. And essentially, like, what is your wing? It, it's it's kind of this, you, you lean into that other number. And um, and you have access access to that other personality type. Like a co-pilot. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Or, or like even um, the other thing I think of is like a color wheel. You, you kind of just bleed into the other color a bit. Yeah, you're, it's a bit of, of a shade. That's right. Yeah. So that's the wing. The arrows, like we could do a whole podcast just on arrows. But what I will say about arrows is every number has somewhere that they go in health and somewhere that they go in stress. And so the number that you go to in health is um, like it's different for every number. And again, if you were to look on um, the website, I would probably recommend is the Enneagram Institute. It explains it really well. If you look up, once you discern your number, it will show you, for example, I'm a one and I know when I'm healthy, I go to the upside, the positive side of seven. And when I'm in stress or disintegrating, I go to the low side, the unhealthy side of four. And so every number, again, has a place they go in stress and in health. Yeah. like the So you have kind of a baseline place you live, uh -huh. which is your number. And, and this is hard to get your head around because the, the, the arrows sort of indicate when you're a less healthy version of yourself, you tend to devolve into more of the shadow side of another number. Mm -hmm. And if you're growing in health, you tend to evolve into the upside of a different number than totally. that other number. 
Totally. And so now you, you essentially you're living in the, the world of these three numbers, my baseline mm-hmm. number, <laughs> mm-hmm. the one I, you know, yeah. on my best days, <laughs> yeah. see flashes of, and then the one in my worst days you see flashes of. And so it, this thing can get real confusing real fast is, is I guess just my point. Confusing, mysterious, complicated, exactly. And and to add to your your comment about that, that's why it's really hard to even try to guess what somebody's type is because on any given day it could actually look quite different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll get into some ground rules for how to yep. how to navigate this in, in just a moment. Um, I, I guess my next question is for a person who's interested in this kind of awareness. Why would they use this particular tool? I mean, there's lots of self-awareness tools. There's lots of grids and, you know, ways to categorize. What's so special about the Enneagram? Yeah, I I mean, I'm a bit biased. It would be um, my favorite tool, but I'm always the first to say it's just a tool. And there's lots of great tools out there. Lots of tools that we use around here at Southridge, whether it's Myers-Briggs, Emotional Intelligence, SDI, StrengthsFinder, they're all fantastic. I think what draws me to the Enneagram is that it's really this journey of inner transformation. And it's this journey about connecting with our true selves, or another word for our true selves is our essence. And so um, that's a really unique part about the Enneagram. The part about the Enneagram that grabbed me and transformed me personally, and the reason I'm so passionate about it, is because it helped me to develop empathy for myself and empathy for others. And I feel like Mm -hmm. empathy is just a really important tool in life and in any time we work with people, which is all the time, whether it's in our families and our friendships and especially in the teams we work with, because the more we understand people and understand a little bit about why people behave the way they do, it gives us some empathy and some understanding. And so, um, Every Enneagram teacher teaches the Enneagram with a different perspective. And, you know, we're, we're advised to teach the Enneagram from the place in which it transformed us. And so the way that it transformed me is, is through that um, lens of empathy, which as a one wasn't something I was very natural. I wasn't naturally strong at to begin with. Hmm. Self-empathy wasn't a, a gift that I brought into the world. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to I, develop I would say, it. I would say from my perspective, the, the, the uniqueness of the Enneagram, uh, again, from my perspective, has everything to do with the spiritual growth stimulation of it. Mm. Other awareness tools just kind of categorize you and say, okay, this is my wiring. Like I'm yeah. blue eyed or brown eyed or right or left handed or like it, it, mm-hmm. it just kind of labels my uniqueness. Yeah. The Enneagram doesn't label your uniqueness. It, it it kind of intends to label your starting point on your road to becoming more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we all have different starting points. We come from unique kind of dysfunctions or we, we come from unique places. But it's it's sort of one of those God loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And the Enneagram is actually a process, not just a, an yeah. awareness indicator, but a process to, I, I know there's a, one of the kind of popular books about the Enneagram is called The Road Back mm-hmm. to You. Yeah. And it's kind of written in a, in a process or in a lifelong journey way mm-hmm. to say, okay, as I discover this about myself, mm-hmm. this is my starting point, but it's my starting point on a road back to mm-hmm. the person of Jesus and ultimately becoming the whole and full person that God wants me to be. Yep. So yep. it really is a transformational driver 
if you'll mm-hmm. lean into it, not just a self-awareness provider. Totally. Totally. Yeah, it, it definitely is. There's um, the book that you referenced is a book by Ian Cron, The Road Back to You. I know Chris Hewitt's another one of my favorite Enneagram authors. He talks about it as um, he calls it the sacred Enneagram. It's about finding our way back home. And um, all, all of that language really just indicates that it's a journey. It's a lifelong process. It's a pilgrimage. It's about becoming, you know, who we were always intended to be in Christ. So that's a great, a great point. Yeah. Now, you made some comments earlier, and, and uh, I want to really camp out here for a few minutes on, uh, I guess, the, the power of the Enneagram as a framework as an assessment tool and as a spiritual growth process in the context of community, Hmm. in the context of groups and teams. And talk a little bit about where you've seen the Enneagram have value in community contexts. Yeah, I think that it goes back to this idea of understanding. And I mean, we're just really scratching the surface on these nine types. Um, If you decide that this is something you want to explore and you start listening to some podcasts or reading some books, it won't take you long to discover that these nine types are essentially a personality that we create in order to survive in the world. And all of that is based on um, what the Enneagram teachers called a childhood wound. And this can be very confusing. And what that really means is that Each of us have experienced a loss in our early holding environments in our early childhood, and it's a perceived loss. And so what that means is, um, I love the way Chris Hewitt describes it, because he says, each of us were created to bring a gift into the world, a gift into the world, whether that's faith or authenticity, love, generosity, whatever that gift is. But we learn very early in life through whatever circumstance, and, and again, this is perceived we learn that the world simply isn't fair, isn't safe. And so we hold back from bringing our gift and we create this personality. And it's a bit of a, a coping mechanism. Um, it's a structure that we create in order to survive in the world. And so it serves us very well. It serves us for actually usually most of our life until we kind of wake up to this sense in which, oh, wait, I've actually lost who I was created to be. So once you dive into the Enneagram, and if you dive into the Enneagram and you begin to see the loss or the wound of each number, it gives you so much compassion for each type. Because what you begin to see is that beneath that loss, beneath that wound, in each person, there's just something beautiful that they were meant to bring to the world, but they were too scared to. And so it helps us understand why some of the personalities, excuse me, come across the way they do, you know, um, for example, let's talk about myself. Um, I'm a one. And so I, um, I have this, you know, need to be perfect. And really what's behind that is this fear of like, I don't want to make mistakes. Am I good enough? Can I bring uh, the gift of goodness and serenity to the world that I was designed to bring? And so for whatever reason, you know, again, these are perceived losses we experience. It's nothing to do with our parents. It's, it's, it's just all just part of being human. Um, we feel like we can't. And so then all of a sudden, I think it gives the people around me some compassion, like, well, that's why I'm so hard on myself. And that's why I'm so hard on others. And that's why I can be rigid at times. It's really about my own fears. Yeah. And so in that compassion and awareness of other people, as you're doing this in, in community, not only do you have an empathy and again, a, a, a sensitivity, compassion for where other people are coming from, but in community can help nurture and encourage 
other people's journeys, sort of in the life change happens best in mm-hmm. community, if this is ultimately a spiritual growth transformational process, well, it, it can really have traction in community. And certainly we've seen that in mm-hmm. work teams, I know around here in departments and uh, among friendships and even or maybe especially like as spouses mm-hmm. or in close friendships or family dynamics, there, there there's a lot of power not just in the awareness and the compassion that it provides, but yep. then the capacity to contribute to each other's spiritual growth. Um, can you just give us a few uh, tips on warnings or boundaries mm. on what what not to do? Because yeah. we might grab this and you know shove this in our friend or our spouse's face and you know talk about what you sure. can't do sure. in Enneagram sure. Uh, rules. Sure, and I probably will say I've done all of those things at some point or another. Um, and just done it in, in pure, you know, enthusiasm, but it can tend to be, um, a, a bit of a dangerous thing to do. So yeah, a couple things. I mean, the first thing I will say is if you are in the process of discerning your number, um, there are online tests, but they're only 40% accurate. So they're a fine place to start, but it's really only that is a, it's a starting point only. And so the, actually the best way to discern your number is through listening to the nine types, through a podcast, reading about them, through you know a, a reliable website or on a, in a book, and seeing which one mirrors back to who you are. It's usually the one that makes you the most uncomfortable. I will just say that. Um, once you figure out your type, and that can be a long journey. It's not going to be instant. It might take you even like it took me about six to eight months to discern my type. That's another story. Yeah, I mean, practically speaking, the first time I did the assessment, uh-huh. uh, three of the nine tied yeah. for my top score. Yeah. So I go and do the assessment and really have no mm-hmm. no indicator of clarity on what nope. type I am. Nope. So just as an expectation, if people are thinking they're, that they're going to yeah. do this assessment, there's even more work just to figuring out the type that you are. Totally. I mean, what the assessment is good for is it will help you narrow down maybe your top th- two or three, but that's it. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's one thing is it takes time to discern your type. Just know that. Secondly, once you know your type, you're going to want to type everybody around you. And that's such a strong temptation. And my advice to you would be to refrain from doing that because I have learned the hard way that people around you don't like to be typed. It's really their journey. It's, um, you know, it's, it's personal. Nobody wants to be told, oh, listen, this is how I see you, especially when it's talking, you're talking about parts of you that are not great and parts of you that are hard, hard to maybe be around. Um, and the thing about the Enneagram that's really important to know is that it's not about behavior. It's about motivation. And so you can't even tell who somebody is based on how they behave. In fact, um, you know, if you think about a type, let's pick a, a five, for example, there are so many different ways to be a five and you might have a room full of fives and they're all so different because it's about motivation, not behavior. So just know that. Um, the, the other thing I mentioned earlier, you know, you don't want to force the Enneagram on anyone at all. And and you really want to be a bit older until you dive into the Enneagram. Enneagram would wisdom would actually even suggest in your thirties and forties and beyond. I know a lot of people in their their twenties dive into it, but you need to be prepared that it is hard work. It's not fun. And so if you're up for that, then go for it, but just know that. But then the other thing I'd really want to talk about, just highlight just for a moment, is that there is a danger with the Enneagram that we can use it to um, almost excuse bad behavior. You know, that's just the way I am. I'm a one. Sorry, I'm not flexible. Deal with it. That's actually not how the Enneagram 
is intended to be used. And it's also not because of its connectivity to spiritual growth. Right. And that's that's key for us to understand is that this is what makes the Enneagram so unique. Right. But in its uniqueness, we can't abuse it by treating it like it's another type of assessment. Another assessment might say, hey, I'm left handed. So you got to deal with it. Or I'm blue eyed. So you got to deal with it. It's not a static assessment. The whole point is that it's going to grow you out of your dysfunction. So to say, this is just the way I'm dysfunctional. Deal with it is really not fair or healthy or God's vision for your life. No. In fact, um, like what the Enneagram is intended to do is to wake us up. And so part of that waking up process is actually not just courageous work, but it's humiliating work. Because once you dive into your number and you see, um, you know, this, the shadow side of your number, you're like, at least for me, I, I was like, how does somebody know this about me? I felt like someone, you know, read my diary or read my journal. And it, it's the parts of you that I could never, or that, you know, you're not even able to articulate yourself. So it's, it's hard, deep, humiliating work as it wakes you up. And that's kind of the point. So you never want to use the Enneagram to excuse your bad behavior and you never want to use it to make fun of somebody else. So uh, those are just two things to really caution against because like you said, the Enneagram is a journey. It's a transformational process. It's about becoming more like Christ. It's about this pilgrimage back to our true self. And so just to always keep that in mind that these nine types, these personalities that we've created they're coping mechanisms. They're, they're, um, you know, um, this structure we've created, but they're not really who we are. So it's really about deconstructing this personality and excavating our essence and really beneath all of the, um, yeah, beneath it all, there's this, this beautiful essence in each of us. And that's the goal is, is connecting with that, the part of us that God made us to be. Yeah. Defaults of dysfunction is how I've kind of framed them yeah. in, in, a, in a way that motivates me to want to get out of there, to, to want to grow past. That's you, right. You know, my, my, it, it's initial. almost like shedding, like, you yeah. know, you're shedding this part yeah. of you that you no longer need because you're reconnecting with the part of you that you actually lost. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you teach on this. So uh, just to wrap things up, I was going to say, if someone wants to go somewhere or pursue this further, uh, obviously you mentioned uh, the Enneagram Institute is probably the best website. Mm-hmm. You referred to a couple of books, The Road Back to You, and what's Chris Heard's book called? The Sacred Enneagram is a great book. Um, um, anything else that you'd recommend on those lines? Uh, just one quick thing, you know, um, on the Enneagram Institute page, you can sign up for something called the Ennea Thought of the Day. And actually, you can sign up for up to two. And that's just a little thing that comes in your inbox once a day. And it's it's usually like a, a challenge for you or a word of encouragement. Um, what's good about that is if you're discerning between two numbers, you can sign up for both numbers. And you'll get both in your inbox. Again, they're really short. And over time, one will probably resonate with you more yeah, than the other. which one you track with the most. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a good tool. There's great podcasts out there. Um, you know, uh, Ian Cron has a, a really good podcast called, what's it called? Typology. <laughs> mm. 
yeah, there's also, I did my training through the Canadian Institute of Enneagram Studies, which is kind of the sister organization of the Enneagram Institute. So CIES, they have a great website in um, Victoria. And since you've got that training and certification, I know that you actually offer workshops on this. Can you tell us, you know, where someone could sign up if they wanted to take one of these as a little plug for your <laughs> side hobby? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not the best at, at self-promoting all, all that stuff. I definitely do workshops around Southridge whenever I can. Um, and I have an Instagram handle called Exploring the Enneagram. And so if you follow me there, you can see workshops that I do um, locally, or even sometimes I just share resources or a cool book or podcast that I come across, or you can just, yeah. Um, awesome. Come and find me. I'll, I'll talk gladly about the Enneagram anytime. <laughs> At length. <laughs> uh, final thought or encouragement to all of our members listening on, uh, how we can enter into leveraging the Enneagram for either self-awareness or spiritual growth or community transformation to a greater degree. Yeah, as a community, I would say, again, this is one tool. There's there's great tools out there, but I would I would dive into it and be willing to do the hard work and bring people around you that can speak truth into your life and help you just connect with, you know, who God has made you to be. Um, I mean, in closing, I would love to just read off like the essence or the the virtue of the true self of each number, because the thing about the Enneagram that can be um, hard is that we're talking so much about all the hard parts of ourselves and how much work it is to excavate essence and all of our shadows and stuff. But really beneath all of that, you know, the gifts or the true self or the essence of the eight is this innocence and vulnerability. And for the nine, it's action, decisiveness. For the one, it's serenity. For the two, it's humility. For the three, it's truthfulness, authenticity. For four, it's equanimity. For five, it's detachment. Six, it's courage. And seven, it's sobriety. And so it's really about connecting with those beautiful gifts and helping each other along the way become more of who we've always been created to be. So I think in community, it's a really beautiful way to encourage each other, cheer each other on and, and come alongside each other. Fantastic. Uh, interesting that the, the journey of Enneagram is often called finding your way home. Kind of ironic that we would... Uh, title the podcast, Finding Our Way, because uh, at some level, that's what we're doing personally and as a church community, trying to find our way into or find our way back into looking, revealing, and living more like uh, the Jesus who died for us and wants to live in us. So hope you're encouraged by this. Uh, contact Carrie if you want to know more and uh, just really leverage this to the the full potential that it could provide in your life and in the circles of relationship that you find yourselves in. So thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everyone. <laughs>